Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Is the series over for the Indiana Pacers? Are the Bucks primed to be the best team in the East sometime soon? Did Grizzlies head coach Dave Fisdale's rant on the referees win them game three? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown podcast as recorded live right after the games tonight on Thursday. And uh, as always, uh, I'm joined by Coach Dave, Dave Dufour. Uh, and we have uh, some exciting games, and I'm not even sure where we want to start, Dave. Do you have any suggestions? Well, I mean, let's just go in chronological order. <laughs> okay. I mean, it just so happens that was probably the best game as well, uh, Cleveland and Indiana. Okay, now let's start with that. So, um, you know, in case you missed it, it was a uh, it was a barn burner in the first half. All Pacers with a huge lead. They couldn't miss a shot. I mean, it was pretty crazy. Um, what are your thoughts about the Cavaliers' defense, though, in the first half? Well, I mean, it was garbage. It, like, there's no other way to describe it. it. It's the same, same old, same old. You, you know, I almost feel like at this point I'm beating a dead horse. I got to come up with something new, right? Like, maybe it's not the defense; it's the the way they're coaching the defense, right? Like, I, I just I'm tired <laughs> of saying it. Like, the truth is, their defense is bad, and uh, they were at their worst possibly in in the first half of this game, and and the Pacers were good. Uh, they put up 72 points in the first half. It, it was insane. Yeah, uh, you know, and it was and it was really problematic because they were very comfortable the whole first half. And even though they might have been hit a couple shots that were maybe out of the ordinary, it was because the defense did nothing to stop that. So, cut to second half, uh, even the third quarter, right? Kind of more of the same. Um, yeah, you know, I actually don't have the third quarter box score pulled up, but uh, you know. The Cavs won the third quarter, but it wasn't. I mean, I think they only won by twelve or something. Right. So it was actually, still like here a, it is, thirty-five to seventeen. So they were able oh, to make it. They won game. by eighteen. Okay, I'm going to call it up right now so I can help you out here for the third. Perfect. Yeah, thanks. But so they they still won the quarter. Um, the Cavs did by by quite a bit, but because of that huge lead, you know, uh, the Pacers were still up eight going into the fourth. So. You think that an eight-point lead you can still hold on, especially since the the Cavs kind of it took everything they had to to have that third quarter. But there's one thing that we haven't talked about, and that is the fact that the Cavs have LeBron James. Right. And you know, look, LeBron James is still the best player in the league, and he this is a great example. And like this game, you could you could put this second half especially, but even the first half, he wasn't the reason they were down so much. I mean, maybe his defense, but not his offense. Um, you you could put this on his career highlight reel. He brought this team back the whole fourth quarter. Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving were on the bench. Yeah, the entire time. So this was purely orchestrated by LeBron and the bit players around him. Uh, let's see. He goes for in the game. He goes for forty-one with twelve assists, thirteen rebounds, a couple of blocks. 
Uh, and, you know, he, he took 27 shots. They were all in rhythm. The, yeah. the only bad part I could point in uh, point out about his game tonight was that he missed seven free throws. Yeah, which is not it, good. Yeah, well, you know, he's messing with his form again, and it looked better. And so I, I thought, okay, he doesn't have to worry about it. But you know, it's not the best time to be screwing around, you know, in the playoffs with that. But um, here, here's the crux of the matter we got to look at because through that second half. Um, Without question, the offense really came alive, and it was very difficult. I don't know if any team would have done much better. I mean, they really were breaking them down, kicking it out, and getting open shots. I'm sure when I go through the tape again, I'll see some more issues that were pretty serious. But it was the other side of the floor which had me scratching my head, and all the Cavaliers fans are screaming at me on Twitter for the last hour and a half nonstop because when you watch what they did on offense – did did the defense have anything to do with the fact that they wouldn't move? They wouldn't cut. They wouldn't call a play that would get them any kind of action. That's what I don't understand how that happens. Even at the high school level, what you see when you get overwhelmed by defense are turnovers and you see block shots and really seriously contested shots. I didn't really see that. They had four turnovers in the second half total, which is nothing. And, um, you know, I did see some contested shots, but mostly because it was the shot clock was like a, was a, an extra defender. And I, right. I'm really confused. Help me understand what we were seeing out there. Well, you know, we, it's one of these things where they went away from the things that worked so well in the first half. It's a mistake that a lot of teams make. You know, they, you got a big lead. Let's try to slow things down. We'll go a little isolation. You know, maybe run a little pick and roll, but but there was so much more movement in that first half. They were getting much easier looks at the basket, which is, you know, I mean, you give Paul George an open shot, he's going to make it a lot, you know, like and, and he just didn't get many. I think it was like 4-14 in the second half tonight. So that was the problem. There was absolutely no movement either on the ball or off the ball. It, it, just, it just was ugly basketball. And it was almost like they were playing a prevent offense. Just tr- like just – you know, they're scared. I, I think that the Cavs are in their head. I, I really think that after, you know, all this time that they just think that they can't beat LeBron James. Yeah. And and they played like it in the second half, and that's why they lost. Yeah. I mean, it really was a, a, a dumpster fire. And here's the thing that's frustrating because there's a real clear issue defensively, specifically with uh, them guarding the uh, pin downs. And when they run, when the Pacers run floppy and have Paul George coming around those, the uh, the Cavaliers have virtually no answer for that. And that would have been a time at any moment in that whole third quarter when they were struggling to get, they couldn't even get to 20 points. When you would either call timeout or call the play and have them run it. And most of the time, they literally spread, stood around, and then like set one screen to roll high. And that's the only way you're going to give the Cavaliers a chance when they're set up and they know how to guard a high pick and roll without any movement beforehand. So this is going to lead us to, you know, what's going on on the bench? And, and was he was was Nate McMillan just overwhelmed by the moment as well? Well, I just, I just don't think Nate McMillan is a very good coach. Um, you know, I've talked about this since last summer. You and I have talked about it quite a bit over the last few months. Um, I, this team just doesn't doesn't look very prepared. They came out tonight and they looked fantastic. And I was good. I was planning to come on here tonight and, and to give Nate McMillan a lot of credit because it takes a lot to, to be down 0-2 and to come out and, and play well. Um, and we'll talk about Memphis here in a little bit. You know, their example tonight I thought was, was huge. But they came out, they really played well, but then they just got stomped. I mean, you know, they were outscored by 30 points in the second half and 
that's just inexcusable, especially for a team at home. And you've got this big lead. All you've got to do is just maintain pace. As long as you don't lose quarters, you're fine. So they, I don't know. And, you know, you brought up running like pin downs. Tonight, C.J. Miles and Glenn Robinson coming off pin downs look like all-stars coming off the pin downs. Like LeBron couldn't hang with C.J. Miles coming off those, those down screens. So you would think, just do that over and over again. And then maybe you get a secondary action off of like you know the the penetration and and the dish to the corner or whatever, um, but no, they just completely went away from it. I saw way too many one pass to Miles Turner who was wide open at the top of the key, and he takes a shot that is probably he wasn't hitting it, so I probably wouldn't want to see him take it. I, I kind of had hope because we had seen him in the past, like, you know, knockdown shots and they were open. But, yeah, the, the part of the problem with those shots were there wasn't any kind of initial penetration at all and there wasn't any hope for anybody getting an offensive rebound because, well, he's the guy who would have gotten it and he's out behind the three-point line. So it was a real mess of, a, of an offensive issue. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. If I'm looking through the tape again and I'm realizing, well, geez, these guys, they really played some defense and took him out of it, then great. I will be more than willing to say that. But, I mean, the evidence is, is so overwhelming against them anyway. And I was just so taken aback by how bad the offense was that I, I, just, I just didn't even notice the defense. I wasn't even aware what they were doing. And certainly when you told me in the middle, I'm like, wait, how many turnovers did they have in that second half? They only had four. Like, that made sense to me because it didn't seem like they were just taking them out of everything defensively with any kind of force. It was simply the they just panicked. They played not to lose. And at any level, that's going to kill you, uh, and it's certainly against LeBron. So, I mean, kudos to them for sticking with it. The, the series is now over, right? Oh, yeah, it's done. I mean, you know, it was probably done regardless of whether the Pacers won this game or not because, you know, LeBron James is, is LeBron James, and the Cavs have so much firepower. They're not going to be cold like they were in the first half tonight forever. You know, you, you know, if you're the Pacers at halftime, you have to talk about withstanding the onslaught that they were going to bring in the second half, and then they score 70. You know, like I, I just, it to me, it's pretty inexcusable. I, I mean, the Pacers' defense hasn't been any better than the Cavs' defense in this series. So I know we've been harping on the Cavs. The difference is, you and I both assume that the Cavs are going to make it to the finals. The pay, I don't think the Pacers are making it past this round, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be a sweep at this point. I think that, that second half had to have been demoralizing. Um, there's a good chance that, uh, look, I think that the Lakers would be making a mistake to try to trade for Paul George this summer because they could just sign him outright in, in 2018. Um, but there's a good chance Paul George is going to force his way out because it, it, when you watch his body language yeah. when, when this game was falling apart, it was it – was, it was different than like Russell Westbrook last night. And I want to give Russell some credit here because last night when that game was falling apart while he was on the bench, he wanted to come back in. You could tell he was exasperated. But it was not – he wasn't like quitting. And not that I'm saying Paul George was quitting, but the slumped shoulders. Like Russ was mad and Russ was like fired up and wanted to get back in there, which is why I, lo- I love that about Russ. I love that competitive spirit. Paul George I think is just – burned out from from indiana and and i I mean he's definitely not re-signing so the pacers need to try to get something 
Well, we'll find out how, you know, Larry Bird's the kind of guy that isn't going to get pushed around by a player and have him forced to do anything. But we'll see. I mean, you know, at some point, if it comes to a head, he, uh, he might just say, let's get something for him anyway, which is what they should do. You never want to lose a guy like Paul George for nothing if you don't have to. And uh, if they're going to be middling next year again and, like, struggling for the playoffs or whatever, then what's the difference at that point? You know, cash your chips in and uh, and start over and see what you get because you're not getting – you're not falling that far. So And you don't have to go that far to find fantastic food delivered right to your door from Blue Apron. They're like the Boston Celtics of fresh ingredient and recipe delivery services. Number one. Just like a good NBA team, you need chemistry. And that's what cooking is, both with the preparation of their fresh, high-quality ingredients and by bringing your family together to cook. I just prepared Parmesan-crusted chicken and it had me using oh-so-tasty fromage blanc. That's right, I'm speaking French. And these meals cost less than 10 bucks per person, delivered right to your door with the exact amount of food pre-measured for you, and you'll never see a repeat recipe for a whole year. Head over to blueapron.com slash coachnick and you'll get your first three meals absolutely free. Even the shipping is free. It's like Kyrie nailing a three to finish the comeback last year. Only, you just need to type in blueapron.com slash coachnick instead. Much less pressure here, sports fans. So check out our friends over at Blue Apron today and begin a life of culinary fulfillment. Wait, did I leave the oven on? Uh, really just troubling. It's, just, it's troubling when you see that, especially from the, the point of view of like a coach where um, they're just – these are the games where a good coach can win you the game, right? You know, you know they're going to come back. You know, the Pacers are not 20 yeah. points better than the, the Cavaliers, but a little here, a little there, a timeout, a good set, a good play, get them organized. They just simply didn't have an understanding of, like, how they wanted to attack where the uh, holes are. Now, obviously, Kyrie and Love are the holes, and that's what they needed to do, and that's why they didn't play. But then again, I almost feel like – I bet you Lou almost felt like, you know what, we're rolling. I'm not going to touch this. Not because – Love and Kyrie are bad on defense, but just because there's no reason to change anything with the lineup as it was moving. Well, also, they didn't really have a great game offensively either. Right. And I think that I think that was a smart move by Lou to to roll with with the guys that were actually playing well. I mean, that unit, the LeBron and shooters, yeah, uh, like bench unit is fantastic. Channing Fry is like a knockdown shooter when he's out there with LeBron. Like it's really impressive. And uh, I think it's one of their better lineups. And to me, you'd think that they would find a way to use that lineup a little bit more early so that they could get LeBron a little bit more rest, like in the third quarter. But they like to use it in the third and for a lot of the fourth. So I don't know. I mean, you know, we can we can debate the rotational stuff at, at any point. But that being said, LeBron was amazing tonight. And, and you know, I don't know. I think you disagree with me on this, but uh, someone asked me, like, is LeBron the the GOAT? I can't argue against it. Now, I'm biased because, you know, like when I was a kid, I was watching Michael Jordan do all his stuff. And Michael Jordan, to me, is the greatest of all time. But I'm going to admit my bias on it. And if someone wants to argue with me that LeBron is the best, I can't argue against it. It's 1A, 1B. I, I right. think – and games like tonight, like, I hope that – that everyone realizes what we've got for the next couple of years that we still have this, hopefully, um, because we're watching something that we won't see for for a really long time. I mean, you know, it took it took a while between Jordan doing his thing at, at the level that he was doing it from like ninety to to ninety eight, 
took a while for LeBron, like, what, what was it, like 2008, 2009-ish, that he started to turn into this guy? Yeah. That's, I, that's I hear you. No, I mean, listen, you're right. It was an all-time great performance. He brought them back. He was just, you know, his that smile after that one of those three-pointers he hit, you, you know, you just knew. Everybody in the building knew this is not going to go away. They were going to have a problem. I, I still kind of feel like the, the Pacers are going to hold on because they were home. And it, it felt like that's the one game, the game three at home after you're down 2 nothing. That's the one you get. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it is a testament. Now I am also biased because I grew up in Chicago. I grew up going to all the all those games, uh, all the home games. But um, you know, I'm not going to argue with that. I don't want to get in an argument. However, I won't agree. But uh, I won't argue if you want to if you want to you know say that LeBron's the greatest. I, I think there are enough moments where he's disappeared, um, where like and Michael never really did that. Like and and you have to split hairs at that point because you're talking about the two best players ever. So uh, that's why I would probably choose it. But anyway, well, should we go, out, go on to the next game? Should we talk about yeah, uh, game two? Yeah, let's, uh, let's move to Toronto, Milwaukee, where, you know what? I'm going to call out some of the commenters um, from, nice. our, from our live show the other night because people were giving me a hard time because I said Bucks in five. The, the Bucks are a better team than the Raptors right now. Oh, yeah. Kyle Lowry is not quite himself. And, I mean, of course, there's the, it's the playoffs. Uh, DeMar DeRozan made as many baskets tonight as you and I did. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, he did. He made eight free throws. But, uh, yeah, that was frightening. Uh, and, again, we've been harping on this all season long, and it's, it was always the head-scratcher that they were ranked so high offensively because you just got a sense that, like, in the playoffs. And, it's it, first of all, it's the defense because the defense is there. But, second of all, like, the pressure. I think it's just a different environment. And to try and make those shots under that environment is, you know, unless you're unless you're Michael Jordan or whatever, that like that's not you can't hang your head on as an offense. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that that's tough. Their offense is really like stuck in the mud right now. And Serge Ibaka has been their best player, which I mean, that's that's fine. Like Serge is a good player. Yeah. I, it's not like it's, it's not like saying uh, Corey Joseph's been their best player, but Serge Ibaka is a good player. But you need Kyle Lowry or DeMar DeRozan to be your best player. And, and so, um, unfortunately, they're running into Giannis, and the freaking Bucks are a buzzsaw. Like, they are just all arms. It's like a tornado of arms on defense out there. They're pressuring the ball. They're switching everything. Uh, Thon Maker has been, to me, incredible. Um, you know, I made the joke the other night, future Hall of Famer Thon Maker – I think he's got a super high ceiling. I think like he's got like all star potential. I mean, you think about where he now. He's starting on a playoff team, and he's actually holding his own, playing well. And you know they're starting to feature him to start games, which I, I think is super smart by Jason Kidd. You get the young guy going early; those other guys are going to feed off of it. And not only that, but you're also going to going to keep him involved. Yeah. In the game. I, I think it's just huge. Um, he made a closeout tonight. He was under the hoop when the ball was kicked from the wing to the top of the key, and he was able to close out on that shot. That's the kind of stuff that the Bucks are able to do. They've got like four guys who can do that. Yeah, most teams don't have one. Right, and, and they got another guy on the bench, and John Henson, that doesn't even play. That could do that too. That does, you know, with his crazy long arm. So. Uh, you, you, yeah, it's it's kind of frightening. Uh, someone was just quoted in the NBA saying that he could be win an MVP, a thought maker, and um, it sounds absolutely apocryphal. But then again, 
if you described to me Giannis Antetokounmpo's uh, situation before we got to the NBA, I'd be like, what do you, you know, no. So, uh, yeah, this is an exciting time, especially when they get Jabari Parker back. Uh, yeah, I think that they're, they're going to be ready to shoot right up to the top top two or three seed. Like, this is an interesting thing. Now, uh, the next round is going to be really exciting because I, I do feel like, yeah, this series is probably over, right? I, I think so. I mean, look, Dwayne Casey's having some weird rotational issues, and, and you know, they're going to make a big change in the next game. And for a veteran team, that, that sometimes works out and it sometimes doesn't. You know, like, and we're going to talk about this again. Memphis has made a change, um, and it worked out for them tonight. Well, Toronto, what's the change you think is going to happen when he's changed the starting lineup? I think maybe they just start with Ibaka at the five. I think I think that would be the way to go. Um, they are, they did that a lot tonight. They were basically matching up uh, Valanciunas with with Monroe, uh, who Monroe has also been fantastic. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, he's been he's been amazing. Super, just active on defense. Good feet. Put up sixteen again tonight. I mean, like. This is just – I think it's sort of a perfect storm for the Bucks, and, and it just happens to be that they're hitting Toronto, and they match up so well with Toronto. They're so long. Toronto's not shooting the three ball well, and I think – I just think the Bucks are better right now. I mean, you know, we talked about this when we were doing the preview. Giannis is the best player in this series. I didn't think he was going to be so much better than DeRozan and Lowry, though. I mean, like, he looks like – a top five player in the playoffs. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And here's the thing about him is a lot of times you think the Euro guys, they're not intimidated by the playoffs because they're growing up in that atmosphere of, you you know better than me, uh, what it's like to play in those games that are those, I mean, you're playing for your country practically, right? When you're in that, that that's pressure. Yeah. Uh, now, Giannis doesn't really necessarily have that experience, but he does come from an absolutely insanely difficult childhood, it sounded like, in a way that, like, yeah, the playoffs, that's probably nothing compared to, like, having to know, like, where you're going to eat from one day to the next uh, or have any shoes to wear or any clothes to have. So um, that's that, that's a real advantage. And he is, I mean, he looks like a, a 29-year-old vet who's been doing this in, in multiple MVPs or whatever. He looks re- so uh, assured of himself. And, by the way, another guy who looks that way, and even though his stats aren't like out of this world, is Malcolm Brogdon, a guy who played he played four years or three years? Four years. He, he played four years. Yeah, so another four-year guy just in the, in the mold of like Lillard and McCollum and these guys, they come in polished and they know how to play and uh, always seem to get some weird scarlet letter on them, even just for the sake of – for the sheer fact that they played a few extra years at the college. It's just so stupid. So, um, you know, I really can't get over how good he's been playing. Yeah, Bro- Brogdon's fantastic. I mean, this is – Brockton's a great argument for for trying to find some of these four year, three or four year players that are ready to step in and contribute from day one. Um, you know, he he dropped in the draft because he's got the the foot problem. You know, like he he had the the broken navicular and it was like a grade three, and so like you know he's he's one bad step away from not being able to play anymore. And so it wasn't a talent issue for him. It was it was more of the injury history. Um, and you know what? Somebody in there in the chat just brought up. Don't forget about Delhi. I don't look. I've been a Delhi hater all year. Delhi was good tonight. I got to give him credit. He was running pick and rolls. He was. I mean, Corey jo- Corey Joseph couldn't guard Matthew Dellavedova on a pick and roll that he actually. He was with him going to the hoop. He just could not defend it. I mean. If that isn't an indictment of Corey Joseph, I don't know what is. I I, I don't know what the Raptors are going to do to to solve the problems that they're having. Um, but Corey Joseph is not a part of that 
I, I think Norm Powell needs to play, man. Like, I, I don't understand why why Norm Powell can't get any minutes. Well, let's look here. Well, he'll go to the box score right now. And Norman Powell um, played 14 minutes. Uh, and I know he got more than that traditionally, although it was a blowout. So he probably got some minutes there at the end that he wouldn't have normally yeah. gotten. But uh, He was plus three. And he's a plus three. So, yeah, it's a real problem. Um, and, uh, again, this is the KC lineup issues that we've seen every freaking year in the playoffs. He doesn't seem to right, know which lineups to play, can adjust, and gets killed on these every time. Yeah, he well, he doesn't trust Norm Powell. Like, I mean, he didn't play him last year, and you remember how, how well he played going into the playoffs, and he wouldn't play him last year. And so, obviously, Casey's got some trust issues with Norm Powell. Uh, I just I think that at this point, you're down 2-1, you're the favorite. You're down two one, and you you're playing game four in Milwaukee. You have got you better win this game. You better win this game. If he doesn't win this game, if he doesn't put, as a matter of fact, if he loses the series, Casey's gone. Yeah, that, that's where we're at. But Absolutely. if he loses this game, there's no chance they're going to win this series. They're not coming back. They don't have the firepower or the defense to to come back from three one. This is not a, a Cavs or a Warrior situation. Well, I mean, again, you could argue that they kind of have the firepower in theory because they have this offense that's high octane. But uh, clearly, I mean, and who knows? Like, can can Lowry suddenly find it again? I, I don't know. And I, again, no one's asked about the wrist. I, I haven't seen any quotes about it, so I don't know if that's bothering him. And again, he played in those maybe meaningless games at the end of the year where he, he shot well. But um, it's the quality of shots as well that are not there. And, you know, I'm telling you, when Giannis gets that ball and pushes it up, he gets right to the post in that sort of Russ-style thing. But this yeah. is not Russ. This is 6'11 with 7'6", whatever he is. And they don't need to penetrate. He is penetrating for them and as a post-up. And I, they, every one of them does this fan, the fantastic attack on the catch. Everyone, Snell, Middleton, uh, even Delhi, they break the yeah. defense down, and uh, they're they're in constant rotations. That's why you're seeing like these great blocks from Ibaka because he's having the cover for, for everybody. But uh-huh. you know, then he gets caught up, he gets a foul, they get a shot yeah. anyway on him, uh, and um, eventually it's going to wear him out. Ibaka is justifying the max contract he's going to get this summer. Uh, Kyle Lowry might be costing himself money, and it's weird to say that because Kyle Lowry is one of the top, you know five or six point guards in the NBA, but the playoff performance has to matter at some point. You know, it, it, his regular season numbers are fantastic. I mean, it, they're undeniable. He's a, he's a good player, but we've now seen enough of him in the playoffs to know that there's something that happens in the playoffs. He's four of 10 tonight, two of five from, from deep. I mean, he played 35 minutes and was minus 18. So well, wait, you mispronounced DeRozan. Well, DeRozan already got his max. Uh, oh, fair enough. He already got yeah. it. But again, he's the yeah. same guy also who sure. in the playoffs, yeah. you know, well, so same the, thing. The Bucks are they're aggressively trapping Lowry and DeRozan when they catch the ball. And they're forcing him to give the ball up. And no one else is doing anything on that team. So it's not all Lowry and DeRozan. But at the same time, like, I mean, you're kind of the featured guys. Abaka, again, Abaka has been really impressive to me. His blocks have been great, but I think if you're down 17 and you block a shot, don't stand there and you know do the thumbs down. Oh yeah, did you see my tweet on that one? 
No, I missed it. Oh, so he blocked it and he put the thumb down. And so my tweet was, after he gets a great block, he gives us all his opinion of how the Raptors have been playing tonight. Oh, there <laughs> you go. Yeah. That was my best tweet all the time and no one even got it but because they probably didn't watch it but you know, all the way through. But, uh, yeah, you can't be – I don't think – yeah, I don't think that's a justification for, like, you know, doing the finger wag or whatever when you're down like that and you're, and you're playing like that. By the way, and his, his box score was terrible tonight. He, he really didn't play that well anyway. He had one block and a few – didn't have a lot of rebounds and score very much. So nobody really came to play at all for the Raptors. And, um, you know, it, like, like if it went seven of the most amazing hard-fought games of all time and then the Raptors lose, like – does, does Casey maybe get a reprieve? Okay, maybe. I don't make a, a bad referee call, they lose. But this is like they're laying down. They're not organized well enough. They're not attacking the way they need to be. And I, then again, to, to try and figure out like where you want to attack with this, with, with this defense and how long they are, it's difficult. But at the very least, when you're defending, when they're defending the, um, the high post splits that the, the Bucks run all the time, they're doing such a lousy job of it that they don't seem to understand – how they want to defend it. They don't have like a clear cut philosophy. And at this point, if you're going to try and compete in the playoffs and go deep, you need to be better than that. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like they don't know that the Bucks run that high post split 90% of the time. Yeah. I, 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 and that just, to me, that reeks of not being prepared. Yeah. And that's weird. Um, not, you know, for a team that, that thinks it has a shot at making it to the finals. That's kind of weird. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Probably enough about this game because it, okay, it really okay. was a monstrous blowout. But, hey, if, if you like the Bucks or you just like to watch fun things happening, it was fun to watch that first half. I mean, it was, it was outstanding. For sure. Well, let's move on to the Spurs and the Grizzlies, which is another interesting game. And certainly that game three at home, uh, I, it feels like those were the most expensive foul calls that uh, Dave Fizzell ever needed to spend money on. But it kind of worked, right? They, the, the referees seem to have a different tone to their calls tonight. Yeah, they called, uh, let's see, they called 21 fouls on the Spurs and they called 24 on the Grizzlies. But Kawhi had two early fouls and, you know, he wound up with two for the game, right? So I think that in the first quarter, the refs set a tone and then the guys played to the whistle the rest of the game. But that first quarter, there were a lot of foul calls. It, it did feel like, okay, they're, they're trying to keep it balanced. I mean, you know, basically he paid $30,000 to get the refs to rook Kawhi Leonard a little bit in that first quarter. And it worked. I mean, it made him less aggressive and, you know, kind of took him out of his game a little bit. Uh, but really, like, the story, I mean, Zebo, man, 21 points in 29 minutes. And uh, the guy was getting anything he wanted inside. I mean, you, you sent out a bunch of videos of just the it, typical Zebo shots and I, that I don't know how he makes. Like, I couldn't do these in horse. So he would just destroy me, right? Like, how does he make this the little, like, flip shot over a seven-footer? I don't yeah, get it. And, and, the, and, the, and the guy is right there. He's not, like, going for the fakes. And I, I don't know. There's something about the way he brings it, like, a little bit farther back, I guess, because it's an alligator arm kind of a shot. He's not, like, extending really high over his head, and yet he just gets it off, and he's just quick enough, and he make, then he can make the 18-footer or farther even. Um, it's, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a load. Now, and he started, so that's another thing, right? They had tried to go away from that and tr- change it up or whatever, but, you know, you can't, you can't, get it, you can't grit the grind. You've got to use it when you have it, and uh, it's, it's, it made a really big difference to set the tone in the beginning for sure. Yeah, I predicted that, that they would start Zebo because – he w- he had he had done well in the first two games in limited minutes, and you know I just think that 
in the playoffs, you've got to go game by game. You can't just say, you know, like in the regular season when they bring him off the bench, it's more of a this is our organizational philosophy and, you know, we know we're going to lose some games, but this is how we want to be. Well, now you've got the Spurs that have two seven-footers inside. Okay, well, Zebo makes a lot more sense as a starter matching up those minutes with, you know, with Aldridge and being out there against Gasol and things like that. So I, I figured they would start him, especially, I mean, Zebo has, like, you know, been just feasting on the Spurs even in these previous two losses. Uh, the biggest difference tonight to me was, uh, let's see, Patty Mills had 11 points and Tony Parker had zero. And Tony Parker had two good games, right? But he's got to be able to take advantage of scoring on Mike Conley. I, I think, Con- like, tonight Parker was off. Conley didn't have to work as hard on defense. And Conley made him pay for it. I mean, he was even hitting his right-handed runner that you hate. Yeah, I know. He hit a few of them, yes, off of one foot, too. Because remember, I don't hate it as much when he goes off of two feet. And if you missed it, I did a big video where I went through like over 100 of his, of his floaters from, that, from this year. And by the way, it was staggering. I believe it was 89% of his floaters were all right-handed. And everyone's like, well, he really is right-handed. And I'm like, no, if you shoot free throws lefty, you are a lefty. And if you switch and you start shooting free throws righty, well, then guess what? You're a righty. And I don't care what hand you write with or what you, you, you uh, cut your steak with or anything else in the bathroom. Bottom line is you shoot the free throw that way. That's your hand. And, uh, and you know why? It's funny because, you know, if you're out there, Jabril, I love you. But I had a player just like this, lefty dominant, really dominant lefty. But he would shoot this right-handed floater and it would miss so badly so often it drove me insane. And, I, and there must be something about, like, lefties having to try and prove they can shoot the right. I don't know. Um, and, uh, by, and by the way, I was a great left-handed layup shooter. Better than my right, because you practice it more, right? Because you, when you're growing up, I just practice it a little bit more. I was much more comfortable. But I'm not talking about layups. I'm talking about you're talking about shooting a 10 to 12 foot floater over a defender. You know, that's where I kind of draw the line. Right. Yeah. The the touch involved with that is more like a jump shot than like a layup. So yeah, yeah I'm with you on that. But anyway, Conley Conley was fantastic tonight. Uh, 24 eight assists. Uh, yeah, he was line eight times. He had a, he had a great game. I think that that really. While Zebo may have been the, the the X factor, I think the difference in the game was Conley having a big game and and Parker really just being non-existent. Yeah, and by the way, you know turnovers are they, they had five turnovers for the game, right? And uh, and the, who else? Uh, the Pacers only had four for that half and whenever nine for the game, too, you know, on their end. So, so someone told me that there's a, a league-wide trend over the last several years of turnovers going down, and. I'm starting to realize, I think what that means is that, A, with the advent of the three-pointer and the quicker three-pointer, you know, you're not having as many of these longer possessions where you might have an extra pass or two, and then all of a sudden that did you turn it over. Uh, and you also have this more like a specialist where these guys really know what their role is, and they're not getting out of that. So, like, me catch, me shoot. That's all, you know, that's what you have those, some of those guys doing. So, um, this is fascinating because the... You know, what I think is really interesting about hockey is that even though they're amazing and they're pros and they can skate, it's still ice and you're still sliding around. It's enough where you're like, you never quite know how it's going to play out. But this is an interesting thing because if the pros start to move this and they start having everybody get like eight or seven turnovers a game, right, that might actually make the game worse in some weird way. Yeah, I mean, it won't be as exciting. You won't get these open court dunks. You won't get a... You know, like the, the breakaways. Although those are going away anyway. The the advent of the Euro foul, yeah, has has really brought those down. And I think that what you're going to see this summer is you're going to see a push by the people uh, pushing the competition committee to to make those clear path fouls because technically they re- they really are. 
you know, if you're going one direction and someone gets a turnover going toward the other basket and you just foul them, I mean, that's a clear path. Even though you're in front of them, it's still right. a clear path to the basket. So Yeah, um, yeah. or just don't, like, you know, tell your guy to get back and play defense or something, right? Like, why yeah. why switch if you don't have to? Why take that foul? I mean, I know it's sort of smart because, it's you know, if, it's, if you're not in the bonus, it's to take the foul, but... Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure I, mean, I would use that as to an advantage if I didn't. Really I use have to. I use it as a coach here. I mean, I you know I picked it up in Europe and and you know used it a lot there. It's great because transition baskets. I mean, what's the sh- uh, the field goal percentage on a transition layup? It's pretty good, right? Yeah. Uh, so you want to you want to cut those down. So, but all right. So back to the game. Um, so Kawhi, uh, 18 points tonight. I mean, he he only played 30 minutes, and you know, pop. Pulled the, pulled the plug fairly early. Yeah. Um, but he's he's 32 of 32 from the free throw line so far. I, this is impressive. His free throws are ridiculous, man. Yeah. I, like, I don't think I've ever seen someone make a leap like that in free throw shooting. It's it's pretty incredible. Wait, uh, I don't remember. It, was he not a great free, th- free throw shooter early? I forgot. No, he was like in his 70s. Okay. Um, let, me, let me pull that up. If only we could do something like that. I know. It's all... I beat you. Did I beat you? you Yeah. No, I mean, he was 88 this year, 87 last year, 80, 80, 83, 77. 77 when he came in. Yeah, he's been good, you know. Yeah. Uh, And and remember, he didn't shoot hardly any for the first few years. So, um, yeah, but either way, you know, hey, that's good. 32 for 32. Now you just jinx him. He's going to miss the first free throw next game. He probably is. So, um, anyway, so I, I assumed I assumed coming into this that that the Spurs were going to win. I, I thought the Spurs after the first two games, I thought they would just sweep. I underestimated Memphis. Um, we, you know, we you and I you, you did a video on on the Fisdale rant, but you and I haven't talked about the rant. Okay, I I loved that rant. <laughs> um, I thought it was. I mean, I thought it was probably one of the five best coach rants of all time. I, it was so good. Um, the, the, they're not going to rook us is it's up there with Allen Iverson and the practice. You know what I mean? It's really, man, like I love that. And, and and you could tell that the refs really paid attention to it. I I don't know, you know, I don't know how much the league office or the, the, you know, the referees association, I don't know how much they talk to these guys ahead of these games, but yeah, I mean, there was, there was an obvious change in the way it was being called. Oh, and it worked in yeah. Memphis' favor. Right. And by the way, they were home, so that could also be part of it as well. I went through it. You know what? I, I, I had the Spurs feed, so I missed. There's these two elbows. Everyone's up in arms. And I, I want to acknowledge it. Yes, I should have included those. Uh, one one was like a Kawhi rip through, and you know that's a legal play, like that, whatever. And another one was a, was a Lamarcus Aldridge got his elbow up. And, of course, the Grizzlies feed you know, replayed it a couple of times, and then I jumped out, and I was kind of going through it at twice speed trying to find anything that stood out. But um, other than that, like, you know, most of these calls, it was kind of even. The Spurs had plenty of uh, reasons to be upset, too, for some of these calls. So um, I, don't, I don't know if I even agree with Fizdale with what he said. Uh, also, that he got his math a little bit mixed up, too, because – not mixed up, but a little bit, a little bit uh, misinterpreted because, you know, if you go to the basket and you get fouled, it's not a field goal attempt. And he used the, the volume of field goal attempts that they had per free throw compared to – the Grizzlies and why that was the disparity didn't make sense to him. Well, it's partly because they did go to the basket as much as you did, but they got those fouls. And right. by the way, I don't think it's a guarantee that if you go to the basket, you're going to get fouled, right? It could very well be that a team like the Spurs who have prided themselves on not fouling, 
you know, got out of the way a lot of the time was able to not foul. Even though, you yeah. know, you could go 100 times and maybe they get out of the way 89, 90 times. Who knows? But it's not a given. That's what I thought was a little bit weird. But certainly the emotion and the effect that it had, and it was sure it was premeditated, uh, really paid off. Yeah, I mean, look, Kawhi is one of the few guys that, that has the number of steals that he has that has fewer fouls than steals. I mean, it, you know, wow. like, that's not because he doesn't foul. Now, certainly his reputation doesn't hurt. Like Andre Iguodala, right? You know? Great reputation, gets gets away with being really handsy, um, but Ka- Kawhi is skilled at this. Like the Spurs are very, very strict about fouling and things like that. So, um, you know, like when was the last time you had a guy on the Spurs that averaged six fouls per 36? I don't think, I mean, you know. Right. Outside no. of a guy who comes in at the end of games to foul. You right. know, I just, well, yeah. yeah, and my buddy Ronnie Nunn comes on the show, and he has a, 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 a company. Well, he'll go around to different teams and talk to them and work with them about how to handle movement and what the referees are looking for that you can avoid so they don't get the calls. It's really fascinating stuff and deserves to be even more widespread because it would, that really, really, really helps as much as anything else is not following with being able to defend. So, yeah. well, Should we take some questions from, from, uh, from Periscope? Yeah, let's do this. All right. Well, throw some some questions out here. Did you see any while we were talking earlier that you grabbed or anything? We, we got a ton of questions earlier on Twitter. Um, not oh. so much about the games, though. So. Well, we could get into whatever else we want to talk about. I'm over on Twitter right now. Um, and let's see. Do you see anything right now? Yeah. Um, it was uh, – let's see. Who – where is it? Outside of Jokic, Porzingis, Embiid, and Giannis. Is there anyone in the league you can think of with a higher ceiling than Don Maker? Um, he left out Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, yeah, not on purpose, but I think Carl Anthony Towns is so much closer to his ceiling than, than some of these other guys. That he said Embiid, though, to, right? Yeah, he did say Embiid. Yeah. I think Embiid. I mean, Embiid is just Embiid yeah. has best player in the league potential. Right, he's got MVP Hall of Famer all over him as well. So, right. I mean, listen, we are going to enter another golden age here where you have these big men who are guard skills, and uh, and then you have the point guards who are all-time great as well. So uh, it's going to be – I'm telling you, the turnovers are going to keep going down, I bet, and the three-pointers are going to go up, and that's why we're not going to recognize this game. It's not going to be uh, – I mean, that's what, that's what we're going to see here. Like, just a lot of shots, a lot of pace, and um, it, it might be dizzying. Like, I don't even know people are going to like gravitate. Because I think what I liked in the past was that you never knew what was going to happen. The ball could squirt loose and they could get a turnover or whatever. And uh, the only thing that might say that is that the, the notion of a skip pass is still very prevalent. And those are at least the passes you can maybe get a hand on and steal if, you, if you're lucky. But um, I don't know. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. So we've got a, we've got a question here. Uh, should, should Pop start DeJounte Murray instead of Tony Parker? Um, I would start Patty Mills. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and uh, you know, I've got a soft spot for, for Murray, so I would try to get him some run uh, during non-garbage time. But, no, you, you're not going to start DeJounte Murray. And, honestly, like, Tony Parker has been good up until tonight. You know, he had two good games in this series, and he, and he provides them with some penetration that I don't know that Patty Mills gives you. And it really breaks down the, the, the defense and opens up the outside shot for the Spurs. So I, I think that, yeah, I, I would probably just stick with Parker, but I'd, I'd maybe put him on a shorter leash. Uh, yeah, I mean, again, we've seen Pop do this year in and year out where he sticks with the veterans that uh, might end up killing him. 
Uh, and I was thinking about this the other day because how was Cantor able to stay on the court uh, as long for for that uh, series against the Spurs last year? With and he wasn't killing them on the defensive end; he was really helping them on the offensive end. And uh, so uh, one of my guys, Mike Zvibo, got up on, on Twitter and said, "Well, they ran, they run, they're learning so much more pick and roll this year with him involved. They're killing him." And so it was like, "Geez, why weren't they doing that?" And then you realize, well, you know, Duncan was playing. And, you know, a Duncan pick and roll, his role of the hoop was not as scary anymore sure. last year. And so he was able to get away with that. And so, uh, yeah, this is one of those moments where it's just like it's not a series for Cantor, unfortunately, because uh, he could do damage against the Rockets' interior. It's really he could. It just can't. Yeah. He can't stop. He him. can't stay on the court. He cannot guard that James Harden with anyone pick and roll. And, you know, last year against the Spurs, they barely ran any pick and roll. Tony Parker wasn't didn't look right. Yeah. But I think that part of the reason why we saw Kawhi come back this year and and had basically gained new powers in the pick and roll was because of how bad their pick and roll offense was last year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we have another question real quick. We have from Chris Gary, why can't Brad Stevens seem to win in the playoffs? Do you think he's an overrated coach? I think he's I think he's overperforming his roster. I think wow. he's I think he's taken a roster that's not a one like this roster is not a one seed roster, and I think he's coached it to a one seed. You know, I, I think that he's. Oh, I mean, the first year that they made the playoffs, they shouldn't have. Remember, that was a tank year, right? And then last year they were mediocre, and you know, they they did what they did, and then this year again. Now. This year maybe is more of an indictment because they're they're a top four team in the East, but they're not. I don't think they're the best team. So you could say I don't know. I, I think that what we're looking at right now is just that the Bulls are just such a good matchup for the Celtics that it's tough to win. I mean, at the end of the day, your players like if if your players are a bad matchup, you're gonna lose, right? right? Like I don't. Depending on you can't coach your way out of that. Like they 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 don't have a guy that can hang with Jimmy Butler. Dwayne Wade is shooting some ridiculous. I mean, playoff Dwayne Wade and TNT uh, Rondo. You just like, what are they supposed to do with them? And this was one of my the arguments I've been making against Isaiah Thomas. He's just too small to do anything. And small guards in the playoffs, like this, this is not new. Like we've seen this before. Right, I hear you. Uh, yeah, uh, yes to all of that, and uh, I love the idea that yeah, he's overperforming in the regular season, and that's why he's, you know, we're expecting more, more than we should. Uh, but at some point, we're going to have to start to see these results as they, they get another pick or two that are going to be really good, or they trade for somebody good. Eventually, he's going to be able to have to put up or shut up. But I have every reason to believe he will. They, he, they will go very far once they tweak it enough to make it work. So uh, we have another question from Papachulo, who asks Lowry or Conley, who's the better point guard? It's tough. I mean, I think that they're pretty close. Um, I, I don't know. I like the way that Conley is kind of like a big shot guy. You know, like that's so such a coach eye test thing, and I hate to be that way. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think I like Conley a little bit more than Lowry. Well, and I like Conley's uh, uh, athletic ability more, and I also like his defense more. So um, if we're going to get close, to, even if you want to give Lowry the edge on the offensive end, I think that uh, that Conley makes up for it on the other side more. Yeah. So, uh, how about this? Uh, speaking of point guards, AC Morris asks, "Why is Lillard so overlooked?" Because he's is he overlooked? I think he's a little overrated. Okay. Now that's probably going to meet some kind of uh, 
Like that's probably going to be controversial, but I think that like his defense, like his lack of defense is completely overlooked. And I think his, his offensive contributions aren't as much as people think they are. Um, you and I have talked about this quite a bit. I actually like CJ better yeah, than Lillard. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, I know. But for Portland, like, like if you were asking me, would you get rid of Dame or would you get rid of CJ? If I'm Portland, I'm keeping Dame because Dame does have intangibles that you want in a guy who's going to be the leader on your team. And I don't know that CJ is as vocal. Um, you yeah, know, Damian Lillard's okay. like, guys want to go play with Dame. He's obviously a leader on the court and in the locker room. Like, he's organizing workouts. Like, they're, they're, those are important things for a basketball team. And the difference between the two are – it's not like, um, you know, it's not like Kawhi Leonard and uh, – who's somebody terrible? Uh, Kurt Nymphius. I don't know. Uh, sure. Yeah. It's not like Kawhi Leonard and TJ McConnell, you know? Okay. Yeah. You're not making I, me too. I, hey, 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 let's not slander TJ McConnell like that. <laughs> not slander, but TJ is not Kawhi Leonard. He's is not. TJ is a good I, player. I, I definitely, well, I've never seen them both in the same room together, but but I'll be willing to, to, to bet that they're not the same person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, listen, I think we uh, we got this in the can here. We got a really great show uh, underneath our belt. So, um, you know, any other wrap-ups we have to think about? with Tomorrow's games, uh, we got more of the same. Yeah, this playoffs has been fantastic. And not just for the games, the sound bites have been amazing. I mean, you know, the double MMA from, from uh, Markeith Morris. The, Wait, I the, missed that. What's the double MMA? Well, so Millsap, Millsap wasn't happy about how physical game one was. Um, so he, he said, we weren't playing basketball, we were doing MMA. And Markeith Morris said, well, if that was MMA, then tonight's going to be double MMA. That's, <laughs> you, know, if you, you know, if you read my recap for your website, cheap plug, you would have seen that last night in the uh, Wizards-Hawks game, they actually tied the record for most fouls called in a game. But the record that they tied was from 1953, and it, <laughs> the game went into four overtimes. Ah, okay. So 55 fouls were called. It was as bad as the national championship game. Okay. Well, here's the thing. The re response to that is going to be they're going to call less fouls, and so it's going to go right back to MMA, I'm sure, uh, in the next game as they really and, compete. But uh, And that works know, in the Wizards' favor. What's that? That works in the Wizards' favor. Oh, and by, okay, yeah. And by the way, like Kent Bazemore drives me insane, and I don't know if everyone understands why, and it's little things, but, man, that technical foul that he got by running into the inbounder, like from the inbound, out, out of bounds uh, at the end of the game, was is such Baze that, like, I don't know if I can explain it any better way than he just flew in there, bumps into the guy inbounding the ball. It, in the last two minutes of the technical foul, and that, like, ended the game. Um, craziness, and that's that's what they're dealing with. So, uh, you know, we'll have to see how that one plays out, but certainly we have another uh, Houston-Oklahoma City matchup as well, plus the Clippers in Utah, which should be really interesting as well. So we'll we'll keep our eyes on that very closely. Yeah, I guess we'll we'll talk about this uh, this weekend. Yeah, we will be around, so keep your fingers in the pulse of uh, your social media on Twitter or on YouTube or anywhere else. Periscope will be all over, uh, Facebook, anywhere. Uh, anywhere there's a social network, we are there. And uh, again, thanks for coming on the show, Dave, with me uh, and joining us for this live Periscope. That's also our podcast for tomorrow morning, fresh for your commute. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Dave? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs>